This is the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. Now all dressed up in his rain gear, Bob Olin. Good morning, Bob. <laughs> Good morning, Dave. Isn't it amazing the difference a week or so can make? <laughs> a one day can make. It was uh, We had a drought situation yesterday and over an inch of rain at the airport last night, even more than that in some places. Uh, that was still a little below normal for the year, but boy, we caught up in a hurry. Well, you sure did. It's kind of amazing, and uh, hope there wasn't too much damage. I saw some of those flood photos uh, downtown Duluth. That's something. How are you doing there? Where you are high and dry on, what, the fourth floor? Yeah, third <laughs> floor, but uh, right next to us was First Avenue East that was under repair, and all of the uh, sand and dirt that was on the avenue is now on Superior Street as it washed oh down the hill, so they've got heavy equipment out trying to clear it all off Superior Street so they can reopen uh, the main drag. Yeah, it's really something. It's going to be very interesting. I guess there's more or less there. Be careful what you ask for. We were so dry for so long. We <laughs> right. some rain, and boy, we got it. Well, we can do it gradually. Summer. We don't need to get it all at once, you know. Right, right. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to be able to dial it in, but... Yeah. I'm appreciative of the rain. I mean, we we really were developing a deficit, and uh, of course, there's no frost, frost warnings in that forecast. That's a little bit of a concern. I got up this morning and saw that. Was mm-hmm. a little bit surprised. That'd be very early. Maybe we can talk a little bit about that. You got to make sure you get your tomatoes through and your peppers and your eggplant. Anything frost today, you got to make sure that you get past that first frost, and things tend to warm up a little bit after that. But I think there are going to be a lot of uh, weather surprises going forward in our lifetime, don't you think, Dave? It seems to happen, yes, uh, more frequently than we care to know. Uh, Actually, yeah, tonight uh, for the frost, I guess inland from Lake Superior is the most likely spots to get below freezing, while folks right along the lake will uh, probably stay above freezing. But I don't know, I wouldn't Um, want a chance to cover them up anyway. That's true, cover up if you can. And uh, when we talk about covering materials, uh, obviously fabrics are the best, whether it be a spin rebay, a spin polyester, sheets, blankets of some type, uh, poly, of course, you get over there. You don't get much insulating value out of that, but you're not going to need much. It's just a frost, not a freeze. Right. But let me just warn people, put, people will pull out those uh, clear sheets of polyethylene film, uh, poly, and then they don't get them off in the morning. The sun breaks, and then you fry everything underneath. So you wow. got through the frost, but you still damaged the plant. So... If you're going to use poly, black isn't so quite so bad because we don't get that greenhouse effect. But if you got clear poly, you're covering it. It's going to get you through the night. When that sun comes up, make sure you get that off because I've seen um, many uh, many of individuals that's had that kind of problem. They left it on during the work day, and all of a sudden they didn't have any plants left underneath. So got to be a little careful going forward. Uh, but, did you uh, see any damage uh, to your garden with the rain overnight? Uh, not a Good. whole lot. Uh, we were, were relatively flat, so we didn't okay. get that. When we were such a deficit and down so far that <laughs> actually we're very appreciative. You know, we got fall crops coming in. We want to bring in the less tomatoes, all, all the eggplant and so forth is still sitting there and coming in and peppers and so forth that we waited all year to bring in. And now we want to make sure we don't freeze those down. And then, uh, you know, we're always thinking ahead toward the next year, of course, and we want to go into the fall, trees, shrubs. All perennial material, your flowering material really needs uh, moisture in the in the soil. And the fact that this is relatively early, and uh, we've been dry, that soil should be should be sucking it all up if it didn't run off. So this is all. But so much of this is weather dependent, rain dependent. The moisture is extremely important to uh, support our standard of living. It all starts with what you're going to eat in agriculture, and uh, you got to have widespread uh, rain that really helps out. We're fortunate; we've got some irrigation. Matter of fact, without it. Uh, 
it would have been a real challenge for gardeners this year without any any moisture, any water, supplemental water, irrigation of one type or another. And that uh, got us through. It allowed us to grow some uh, pretty good veggies with that. Mm. But, you know, that uh, that well water has to be replaced if that's where it's coming from. So the fact we're getting some uh, rain is really beneficial, needless to say. Yeah, some areas a lot more than others. Officially at the airport, just over an inch and a quarter. But uh, three inches or more reported in some spots. And that, uh, I guess, caused all that flash flooding that we experienced. Yeah, I know that. And, uh where I am, we got about an inch. We've been mm. a little defic- uh, deficient, so I'll take that inch. Yeah, and I must have slept through it. But uh, the problem <laughs> right. with the three inches, <laughs> three inches, it comes down in such a short period of time, and that's that's the difficulty with some of this. So the only way I figured it rained away. overnight was the sump pump going off all the morning long. I figured, wait, <laughs> we must have got some rain last night. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Mm-hmm. No, I'm actually, we're actually appreciative. Uh, we know you can turn things into a desert pretty fast. Uh, we've experienced that. So the fact we're getting some moisture is, is good for all gardeners and for our landscapes and for everybody in general, the country as a whole, too. So that's good, Dave. All right. Well, we got uh, plenty of uh, tomatoes, I would imagine, ripening up now. Tomatoes are coming, and now we need uh, we need a little warmer temperatures. And uh-huh. I think I think in the forecast we're getting up in the upper 60s. We'd like to get close to 70s if we can to vine ripen. We'd like to vine ripen if we can. Yeah, 60s get tomorrow, up. but we're looking mid 70s again by Thursday. Ah, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Ripening things on the on the vine. That's exactly 70 degrees about what ripens things. And uh, we'd like to leave them on the vine as long as we can. Is that green tissue that builds the sugars in them? We can pull them early, of course, and let them ripen them inside. But uh, for the most part, uh, we want to make sure that we get them on the vines. You can start cutting some of those plants back. Obviously, blossoms come back. And you've got to be just a little careful of how, how heavy you prune above the what we call a fruit line, where the last fruit was set and you want to ripen that up. Uh, you can get sun scald, and I'm seeing that on some of mine where I had exposed fruit and, and uh, just too much intense sun. Probably came from that hot weekend. You know, that was, what, just a little over a week ago here that we were all complaining about 95 or 96, whatever it was, and all of a sudden now we got the 50s. So can't complain. Variability, I guess, is the uh, is the buzzword for the weather patterns we're going to have here, Dave. Yeah, pretty say? much changes day-to-day around here for sure. Well, we'll take a break, yeah, Bob, sure. and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on a Tuesday morning. Getting some more rain this morning with 50 degrees now at the airport, 54 downtown, 51 in Superior, all reporting rain. Kind of a brisk east wind now, too, 17 gusting to 25 miles an hour. Once again, Bob Olin. Good morning, Bob. Well, good morning. And, uh, Dave, let me ask you quickly about your apple crop. We're, uh, we're coming to apple time here, <laughs> and we've got heavy crop loads most places. Yeah. So what's your situation with your Harrelson? A non-heavy crop load, actually. Very few uh, apples, and they're pretty small at this point, too. Okay, that's effective. Uh, probably yeah. real heavy crop you had last oh, year. Oh, yeah. Think? And several yeah, years previous to that. I mean, this is the first year I haven't had a whole lot in a couple, probably five or six years. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. You had a tree that mm-hmm. uh, most, many of them will have this alternate bearing habit, but yours was just continuing to produce many, yeah. many places. Harrelson University of Minnesota introduction way back in the 30s is one of the real rock-solid ones, mainly because it's uh, Edward stocks really winter hardy, which was really, really critical. You know, it's kind of interesting. We had, I guess, a few very, very small, diminutive, almost flowering crab apples that were native. But other than that, we really didn't have a good eating apple. And, you know, we talked about this before, went way back to uh, the 1800s when some of the early pioneers were really looking for apples. Um, you know, it takes us back. It's kind of interesting because we're not really that 
in the in the big scope of things, that far from our pioneer days back in the 1800s, where we really uh, food was very very critical. You never had enough of it. And uh, one of the reasons that apples were so important to the pioneers, and of course the fact they were non-native here, we couldn't grow them here, good keeping solid apples. Uh, we really didn't have a food source for the winter, so they would store potatoes or cabbage. The thing was a little bit unique about apples, sugar source. Now, we think about all the sugar we have, refined sugar we're worried about in our diets because we have such an abundance of it. We weren't growing sugar beets at the time. We weren't bringing in sugar cane at the time. There was a little bit of honey, but that was uh, relatively limited. So apples really were, were a great source of sugar. Uh, not just for consumption, they made a little cider out of it and other things to help them get through that real long winter. But uh, sugar was really a critical importance. So a gentleman by the name of Peter Gideon that moved to the uh, Minnetonka area of, uh, of Minnesota and uh, was a fruit breeder and had an tr- intense interest in it. He was really responsible for bringing in uh, the first apples and uh, really made a commitment. It's kind of interesting uh, as the story goes, and I'm assuming there's some truth to it. Um, one winter, coming into winter, when we really had winters back in those days, it was 1856, um, had to decide between a new winter coat and buying some apple seedling, uh, seedling or seed from upstate New York. He made the decision to buy the apple seed so he could continue with his breeding program. Finally, the very first introduction he had, the wealthy, which he named, he never was a wealthy man. Matter of fact, a lot of this small farming, there, there isn't a great deal of wealth being accumulated, and he he really died relatively poor, and yet he brought in uh, uh, and introduced the first apple, uh, named it wealthy after his wife, uh, who put up with it all these years. Yeah. But nonetheless, uh, that's where the term wealthy comes from, and the fun part of that is it's still in the trade today. You know, what is it, hundred and 2,500, four years ago, it was introduced, and um, still in the trade, So, and still the basis for a lot of the genetic material. So we really have a, de- a debt to him and, and his real efforts to bring uh, a breeding, apple breeding program to Minnesota, which continues to bear fruit. That's one of the University of Minnesota's slogans, of course, research that bears fruit, and Honeycrisp's got all of the original tension, but we've got a lot of others that have come along. S-Star is a great apple for us. Uh, I know some of the harvest fest, there are a lot of zest stars being sold. They grow real nicely. They're hardy, uh, not quite as finicky as the uh, Honeycrisp, some Honeycrisp parentage in there. So zest star was one, and there's been a, a whole series that have come along uh, since that time. Now, a lot of these are restricted to patented varieties. My understanding of what happened with Honeycrisp is that uh, it was so popular, and the unusual thing is we're not an apple-growing region. We've just got a couple of really great breeders down at the uh, Excelsior Experiment Station, University of Minnesota, that have had, had some tremendous introductions, starting with Honeycrisp. But, um, you know, the fact that it, uh, you know, it's the basis for so many of the newer varieties. Honeycrisp, when it was introduced, went throughout, literally throughout the world, went to the Pacific Northwest, went over to New Zealand, the big apple-growing regions in the world. And we lost a little bit of quality because it really where you grow a, a crop uh, really determines a lot of the, the quality, the texture, the features. So all of a sudden, the honeycrisp grown in the Pacific Northwest or New Zealand wasn't the same honeycrisp we were able to grow in the Midwest. So there's a little concern there about just opening things up to anybody and losing the quality of it. So now these are restricted varieties that are sold to bona fide commercial people, the new introductions. And uh, so they uh, uh, know they're going to be grown, and they will still reveal the, uh, the superior quality. So 
We've got one called Sweet Tango, which actually is a cross between, I mentioned Zestar. It's actually a cross between Zestar and Honeycrisp. Two great varieties. They crossed them up again, and we got uh, Sweet Tango, which you can buy in the grocery stores now. First Kiss is another one that's in that line. There was another introduction, and now we've got one called Triumph that uh, is scab resistant. So they're looking for eating quality. They're looking for disease resistance, so you don't have to use any fungicides to control uh, the disease. So there's been an entire series. So the uh, kudos off to uh, Jim Luby and others that have really been involved in the apple breeding program at the University of Minnesota. They seem to come up with some very, very fine introductions. Ultimately, we'll be able to buy these trees uh, down the road when they come off patent, then they're opened up to everybody at a very reasonable price. But in the meantime, they want to retain the quality. So first kiss, triumph, um, sweet tango. These are varieties you shall see in the grocery stores. Again, they all go back to this real fortunate Honeycrisp variety, which is uh, very interesting. They, they, of course, keep very accurate records of the parentage, and uh, they try to mask the, the flowering so they can do the crosses very intentionally between one parent and another. And they thought they knew exactly where Honeycrisp came from until they started doing genetic studies, and they find that actually Honeycrisp was a, uh, a mutation that came from some stray pollen out of the blue, and it turns out to be the the parent for uh, a tremendous line of, uh, of fruit uh, down the down the line. So it was really a gift from the heavens, wow. uh, a very unusual mutation that occurred, and it's become the basis for the university's uh, breeding program. It's produced so many of these good new varieties. So all kind of fun, a little yeah. bit of history there as we go along with it. But uh, apples are important. Think of the sugar content. Yeah. Think of the fact you can store them. And they store very well, particularly a late fall apple, uh, as you have there in your Harrelson. Harrelson um, and Harold Red, which is what we call a sport, a red color of the flesh. It was just uh, a cultivar that came off a Harrelson tree. One branch, again, a genetic mutation, but it's basically got the, the characteristics of the Harrelson, late ripening, uh, sweet tart, the great fall apple, great uh, pie apple, great sauce apple, great keeping apple, but the uh, Herald Red actually has a redder color, so it's a little bit more appealing, but the rest of the characteristics are very, very similar to your Harrelson, Dave. Uh, you said uh, storing them is, is very good, but how do you store them? What's the best way to do that? In the fridge? Keep them cool? What? Well, cool and moist really is what yeah. we're looking for. We store them about like you'd store potatoes, so okay. they'll keep they'll keep a long while. Most people now with finished basements in particular uh, probably have conditions that are a little too warm and a little too dry. They'll say, well, it's cold down there. If you put a thermometer, you, yeah. cold is 50 degrees, but uh, that's a little too warm for long-term storage. Of course, every degree you can get down below room temperature, the longer these apples are going to keep. But a thermometer, and uh, you know, we used to have root cellars everywhere, and we used to have uh, cellars that actually worked into the basements when people are building basements. Now everything's going up on a heated slab. It becomes a little bit uh, more challenging to, to store some of these original crops. But we're seeing people that have interest in putting in outside the insulated outside buildings for just for storage purposes. So uh, we're kind of going back to good old days and, and coming up with. Uh, Still heated slabs, which are very comfortable, but maybe an outbuilding with a little heat in it that's uh, giving you the storage conditions you need for potatoes and for carrots and for apples in this particular case. Well, the old saying, Bob, is one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. Is that true? I mean, if you got a bad apple, does all the rest of them go? Well, uh, apples, that, that can be true when uh-huh. you get a bad uh, 
you get a bad apple and it begins to deteriorate. Right. We see that in apples, certainly. We see it uh, very readily in other crops as well, like tomatoes. So I'd forgotten about that expression, but yes, it can. <laughs> It'll spread through <laughs> all of them, apparently, yes, huh? Yes, it can. The tissue breaks down, and then the bacteria that are responsible for that breakdown, right. they begin to multiply, and then they spread through the rest of the fruit. So that's the reason why if you're going to be, let's take a look at tomatoes. Some people in this month of September, early October, we're going to be harvesting tomatoes, bringing them in, and you want to separate them. A lot of people think you have to, to ripen. We're talking about the ripening process in in the house now. Uh, you need warmer conditions, 70 degrees is ideal. They don't have to be in the dark necessarily, but as you mentioned, just putting them in a big box or something where one comes in contact with another, where one might crush one and we break that open uh, flesh, the open skin, and then we get decayed and it can take out your entire box. So you want to spread them out on flat uh, flat boxes, separated, or people will sometimes take the time to wrap them in newspaper. And the reason for that is just so if one does begin to spoil, it doesn't uh, spoil all the rest of them. You're absolutely right, Dave. All right, let's take another break. We'll be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show coming up, 937 now at KDAO. All right, Bob, to the phones we go. Hi, who's this? Go ahead. Uh, this is June. June from Car. All right, June. I've been told you can't put apples or potatoes in the same area. Is that correct? Well, it's probably a good idea to separate them for sure. Uh, we get with the apples as they ripen, we get a little ethylene that's produced, and that actually uh, shortens up. It's kind of a ripening gas, and it shortens up the lifespan of the uh, your storage length. So it's probably a good idea to get them, uh, get them separated if you can. But short term, it's not going to make a big difference. It all depends on how long you plan on keeping these. Now, if you want to keep until next spring, you got lots of potatoes. It's the main food supply. I definitely would separate them out. If you're talking about, well, I'm, I'll be happy if I get to mid, uh, mid-winter and I don't have that many, we're going to consume them, uh, then it's not uh, near as a big item. So there's some ethylene that gets produced uh, from, the, uh, from the apples themselves, and that can shorten the storage period on, on both crops, actually both uh, apples and potatoes. Okay. Very good. Thank yeah. you, sir. Hey, thank you for the call. Yeah. Appreciate it. There you go. Separate your apples and your potatoes. Yeah, it's a good idea. I think uh, just because in the ripe of the fruit is, if you've mm-hmm. got very ripe um, ripe apples, uh, then the more likely that produces ethylene gas, and then that's what, in fact, uh, does enhance ripening. As a matter of fact, a very ripe apple, if you want to put them in a brown paper bag with your tomatoes, mm-hmm. that will enhance the ripening process ah. of those uh, those green mature tomatoes. And, you know, when we're talking about that, uh you never want to harvest anything to bring inside that's deep green, but once they start to turn kind of a yellow, we call that green mature at that particular point, then they stand a pretty good likelihood of, of ripening for you. So you can really extend the season. Tomatoes, number one crop, um, were highly variable this year, and that's all weather dependent. I saw uh, so many people that had uh, tremendous tomato crops and others that really struggled. They, they couldn't get the fruit set. There was all kinds of issues. So much of that stuff. Really, it is weather-related. A couple things with tomatoes, you've got to have a plant that's up and growing. That's the, that's the factory that produces the sugars. you got to get the blossoms set. These things are all temperature night and day dependent on temperature. you got to get the blossoms up. Then you got to get pollen transfer from one, um, you know, the um, male portion of the flower to the female portion. And then you have to grow a pollen tube. You don't get a tomato until fertilization occurs, and that pollen tube 
really requires about 48 hours of relatively moderate temperatures between about 65 and 75 night and day. So you got to have all of these things that come together for you. And uh, some people did, certainly, but with the variability and all the drought we had and the extreme temperatures and rainfall and other things, uh, other people didn't, and they're blaming the varieties and they're blaming one thing or another when it may just have been a result of the very irregular uh, moisture patterns and temperature fluctuations we had as well, Dave. So don't blame yourself. Don't give up. (laughs) And uh, just come back. And uh, as long as there isn't a lot of disease, we didn't see a lot of disease on the tomato crop. We're going to see it now with these colder, damp conditions, but a lot of the crop has already formed. So that was the the real benefit of, of the drier conditions. The other thing, Dave, on your apples, uh, we really haven't seen a lot of the uh, the big nemesis, big insect problem is wow. uh, an insect called the apple maggot or the railroad maggot because the fly comes along, deposits an egg on the surface of your apple, and then it, it uh germinates and then that uh, larvae that you get from that hatch works its way down and it's feeding it's like the hungry teenager works its way through the flesh of the apple leaves a little tunnel hence this term looks like a railroad track in there and then it emerges and uh, falls to the ground ultimately but uh, so what you've got is all these trackings on the inside of your apple hence this term uh, apple maggot or railroad maggot sometimes because of these tracks that's just this oxidized tunnel that they left behind. There's no interest in there typically, so it's nothing to worry about, again, uh, except from a, a fruit quality standpoint. We saw very little of that this year. So some insects did extremely well. Under these conditions, uh, some didn't. And, you know, one of the real advantages of growing your own is you don't have to use any pesticides at all. If you have a tough year with the apple maggot, uh, you just make a lot of applesauce out of these apples, and you don't worry so much about uh, some of that damage to the flesh, but you don't have any pesticide residues that come from that. So I think uh, there are some real advantages of getting an apple tree or two, maybe just one in your backyard. If you're in town, there's enough pollen floating around various mm-hmm. places because there are a lot of apple trees around, both flowering, both crabs, as well as edibles, and oftentimes you get by with just one tree. May I ask you, do you have just the one tree that's been well, so, such a good performer for yeah, you? Yeah, we used to have two, and one uh, died uh, several years ago, but it's been just one ever since, and it's still been producing like crazy. So, Yeah, we see that if we have one mm-hmm. in one tree way out isolated someplace, often then we have pro- problems and uh, difficulties getting good fertilization, good pollination. But in town, there's enough pollen floating around, enough pollinating insects and so forth moving around, and Oftentimes you get by with just one good tree, so if you have limited amount of space, you might just consider one, and that'll do the job for you. All right. Uh, how's your corn crop doing, by the way? Well, we still got a little corn, so that's yeah. why we're we're uh, kind of uh, watching this frost that comes along. We, have, we certain, certainly have some there, so we'll be bringing some to the market, so we're, we're pleased. We, we did manage to get a crop out that's kind of dicey out here, and uh, <laughs> who knows how soon the season ends. We've got some of that, got good tomatoes. Uh, Luke Farmer's Market, of course, 14th Avenue, 3rd Street. The crop is coming in uh, for everybody like crazy right now. So Wednesday afternoon, tomorrow afternoon, 2 to 5. And then, of course, on Saturdays, uh, which is a good time. We, You know, we really love the fact that it is a community event, and we've got just so many families coming in with young people. There's this new awareness that really nutrition, good nutrition, natural foods as opposed to processed foods, so important. Uh, particularly the young people as the uh, the immune systems are set up uh, for life and, uh, you know, you're kind of training your taste buds for the good flavors of uh, lower sugar, lower fat, lower salt, and yet very tasty fresh products. So we've got a lot of young people. We go to have a 
$2 uh, token that's available for any youth from infancy through uh, 18 and to spend it on produce at any one of the uh, any one of the farmers or vendors. So that's worked out so well, and it's such a nice event. And want to thank all the people that participated and thank our musicians. We've got some great musicians that add to the, the flavor of the day. And hopefully by then we'll get the rain out of the way and we'll have a nice sunny day. If not, we've got a good covered building, 14th Avenue, 3rd Street, tomorrow afternoon and on Saturday day. Good deal coming up now, 948 here on KDAL. More of the Bob Olin Show on the way. Well, let's check out that forecast. We do have a frost advisory in effect. That'll be from 2 in the morning tomorrow until 8 a.m. Meanwhile, this morning, still a chance for showers and thunderstorms, patchy fog as well. Uh, Some of the uh, clouds will move away this afternoon, but still some drizzle and cooler temps, only mid-50s for a high today with easterly winds gusting to 20 miles an hour. Then tonight, as we mentioned, down into the low to mid-30s, depending upon where you are. Patchy frost in the morning tomorrow, followed by highs in the low 60s. And for Thursday, mostly sunny, a chance for showers in the afternoon, but warmer with highs in the middle 70s. And Bobby says that's a good thing. Uh, You know, that is a good thing, actually, Mm -hmm. uh, except except for the flooding. uh, (laughs) Very very appreciated at this time, followed up uh, by some uh, warmer temperatures. Let's get through that frost one way or another. Try to keep that away from some of our areas we can't protect. Thank you very much, Dave. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, nonetheless, uh, this is a pretty nice forecast. And, of course, these are comfortable temperatures. We're all well aware of what was happening in much of the uh, United States, particularly yeah. the southwest. We got a little taste of it there ourselves. And uh, so many people that have come and visit. I know in the market we had a number of people from Arizona that just left. Wow. And they said, oh, boy, it's been 120 degrees. You get inside your air-conditioned house and the walls are hot. You can't get up in the morning because there is no time even to take a walk or no, because the temperatures even in the morning were 95, 98 degrees. And we heard all of those stories firsthand from people. So we're not going to complain about this 50-degree uh, weather we're getting. It feels Pretty comfortable to me. To be yeah, we went through uh, Wisconsin and Illinois, and uh, apparently we're, at least where it was irrigated, the corn looks pretty high up down in those neck of the woods. So. Oh, yeah, yeah irrigation is the, yeah. is the key. And, you know, that's one thing that's helped stabilize our food supply. You mm-hmm. know, we're all aware of the drought years during the 30s and wow. the dust bowl got quite a bit of irrigation. Of course, that water has to be pulled. It has to be replenished. Right. Some of it's glacial. It won't be replenished, but others the surface and surface water, and that will be. So we've got to get the rain back sometime or another, but uh, that has really been extremely helpful for our, for our uh, really abundant food supply that we have. Dave. All right, saving your potatoes. i got another question about that. Is it okay to eat them when they start sprouting and turning mushy? I imagine that's not the ideal way to serve a potato. It's not ideal. <laughs> um, you know, there's there's not going to be anything that's uh, poisonous about it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you really have a potato. The potato, of course, <laughs> is a starch, and as that starch breaks down, uh, turns into a sugar, you get kind of a mushy solution. So mm. uh, you want to avoid that if, if that's at all possible, just because the quality is yeah. so much poorer. So try to keep those temperatures a little cooler. What happens to people, like I mentioned, i got a cool basement. I can mm. throw it very well. Cool. Uh, 50 degrees feels pretty darn cool, but it's not cool <laughs> enough for uh, storing potatoes, and they like uh, they like higher humidities as well. So uh, you can actually do different things. You can you can create pits outside. People are doing. You can actually, really? if you've got a a window in your basement and you want to create a cold room, uh, you can build a structure within that and insulate that from the warmer portion of the basement and 
and drop some of those cooler outdoor temperatures in, and you can you can regulate that with kind of a gate how much you're going to let in from the outside. So there are a number of different ways that you can uh, create this uh, root cellar effect. Uh, as I say, people used to always have those because uh, retaining your own grown crops was a matter of uh, a real survival for families. Dave, I want to just touch a little bit on fall activities. Yeah. Uh, you want to think of, think about getting your, uh, if you lost some garden or gra- uh, lawn space there, and I saw areas just burned down completely, take a little <laughs> look. You're going to have green coming back. If it's all weeds, it might be time to reseed. Now, our bluegrasses are very resilient in many cases. In most cases, we made it through this dry period, but there are many areas within our listing audience where it just went down to almost desert conditions. There are some of the hillside areas where I can see all the grass is gone, and we've just got a weed patch there. So if you're going to reseed, this is the time to do it. If you're going to seed rather than sod, and if you don't get some grass seed in there, you, these weeds are going to take over. They're very op- opportunistic, and they've got big tap roots, so you're just going to have a, a weedy mass there. If you want to get some grass in there, you want to get some clover in there, uh, this really needs to be done here depending on the type of season we have. We usually say by about September 15th if we're a little warmer coming up uh, by the end of September. But anything that comes from seed, you want to get that seed established so that if we have an open winter, you get through that first winter. So once again, you want to shop for, uh, and there are a number of seed vendors around, you want to shop for um, common Kentucky bluegrass for the full sun areas and short fescues, not the tall fescues, but short fescues, uh, red fescues uh, for your shady areas. The fescues will tolerate shade much better. They're not quite as uh, wear tolerant as a bluegrass is, so we'd really prefer as much bluegrass in a nice mix. You can buy mixes in the store. Be a little, don't be deceived. You're going to see a lot in the mixes, a lot of common ryegrass. Annual ryegrass does not make it through our winters for us, so wow. you want to make sure that you've got bluegrass and fescues in there along with maybe 5 or 10, 10% uh, annual ryegrass. Uh, they like to put that in because you get a flush of green within about right. five days, but you're, uh, this is kind of a nurse crop, and it kind of masks the fact that you really want to get bluegrass and fescues up and growing. So I want people to think a little bit about that now. If you've got a good enough lawn, things are greening up, we get a dry period, this would be the time of year where you could get some uh, commercial fertilizer on there as well. Follow the directions on the bag one pound of actual nitrogen per thousand square feet. Don't overdo. And just before rain or before an irrigation, before you irrigate. So fall fertilizing, very important for uh, many of these uh, perennial grasses that we like to grow. And then the seeding at this point. No fertility if you're seeding because those little seedlings don't like the fertility. But uh, for just an established lawn, this is going to be the time of year when you're going to be fertilizing. It's your, you're going to get your biggest bang for the buck right now. And we tend to have uh, nitrogen-deficient soils in North Minnesota, northwestern Wisconsin. So a little fall fertilizing is really going to pay big benefits uh, this fall and into next year. So I wanted to get right. that in while we still had a little bit of time, Dave. Bob, I noticed uh, when it comes to buying grass seed, the more expensive it is, the more likelihood that you got bluegrass in there. <laughs> Bluegrass is going to be expensive. Yeah. Yes, it is. But it's a perennial grass, like I tell right. people. An apple tree is expensive. But if you do it right, <laughs> it's going to last the rest of your life. Same yeah. thing with a common bluegrass. If you do it right and we don't have extremely difficult droughts, uh, that's going to be, uh, uh, you put that over several years. So don't be afraid to uh, spend a little more money on that on that grass seed. Yeah. It takes a little while to develop, but once it does, it's uh, much better than the other stuff. 
Yeah, it's your backbone. It's your perennial grass. Right. It'll always be there. And even if it gets get hot and dry, we can we can add a little water and keep it alive. Where the annual, they'll use a lot of uh, tall fescues. They're very cheap, so stay away from that in our mixes. You can spin the ingredient list is on the back. The components of any grass seed, box grass seed that you buy, spin it around. Stay away from tall fescues. Uh, they're not appropriate for this area. Not hardy. And just uh, the short fescues, the common uh, bluegrass, uh, the red fescues, uh, this is what you're really looking for. There's even some perennial bluegrass. And in open winter, that's not really perennial for us either. So common Kentucky bluegrass and fescue is what you really want. One more more shout-out for the farmer's market tomorrow and again Saturday. Tomorrow and again Saturday. The benches are full. Been a great harvest. Uh, Things are coming along. So one, uh, two to five on Wednesdays, 14th Avenue, one, dock, one block down from Toledo Union on 4th Street. And then Saturday, bring the kids out. We have a great time. It's just fun and really nice to see so many people. 8 to 12 on Saturday, 14th Avenue, East and 3rd Street. All right, Bob, thanks. We'll catch you again next week and see what the weather holds for next week. Yeah, it's always, always <laughs> interesting, isn't it? Dave? Yeah, never know what's going to come up here in Duluth. to you by Dan's Garden Center, located inside Dan's Feed Bin on Hammond Avenue in Superior, and by Matilda's Dog Bakery and Pet Nutrition Center in Lakeside across from the Lake Walk.